Amen. You all can have a seat. Wow, aren't those words true? Worthy is his name. That is why we are here, to worship him, to learn about him, and to follow him. It's so good to be together with you today. My name is Brian Wiles. I'm one of the pastors here. It's great to gather together. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us online. Welcome those of you who braved the cold and are here in person this morning. And uh, we are, as we mentioned, in the third week of this series where we're walking through the book of James verse by verse. It's a nine-week series. We're in the third week. And today we're going to be closing out chapter one. And uh, the book of James, just to kind of catch you up, if you're newer or need a reminder, the book of James is written by this man named James who is uh, the half-brother of Jesus. And James is one of these uh, apostles who really gives us a picture of what it looks like to live out our faith. You know, a, a lot of books in the Bible, they're, they're kind of theoretical. They teach us about theology. And it's not that James doesn't do that for us, but James is way more focused on the application of our faith than actually teaching us about the theological implications of our faith. He's helping us to figure out what it looks like to actually not just know the Bible, but live out the words in the pages of Scripture. And uh, if you haven't noticed this already, you're going to find it out today, and we'll continue to find it out throughout this series, James is one of these people who just tells it like it is. And so for some of us, we kind of like that. Have you ever found yourself saying something along the lines of, hey, listen, I don't want you to sugarcoat the truth to me. I just want you to give it to me like it really is. I want you to just tell it to me. You don't need to sugarcoat things to me. Just, just tell me the truth. Give it to me direct. Well, if you've ever found yourself saying that, buckle up because James is going to do that very thing for us here today. He's going to tell us the truth in a loving but very direct way as he has a special way of doing that, and we'll continue to find that out throughout this series. But in this particular passage that we're looking at today, James is going to use a particular word that may evoke some different thoughts and, and feelings and pictures for some of us. James uses this word, religion. And as I say that word, I, I wonder if you just stop and think, what comes to your mind when you hear that word, religion? What pictures do you have when you hear this word religion? I know for some of us, we may have positive feelings. For others of us, we may have negative feelings. Maybe you're neutral. I don't know. But for some of us, we may think of like a, a set of rules or some stuffy old traditions. Or maybe we think about an outdated institution when we hear the word religion. Some of us have some negative connotations with that word. Others of us, it may be more positive. We may think of things like church, or we may think of things like Christianity, or living out our faith, or devotion to God. But I'm guessing that all of us have some type of picture when we hear that word religion. And if we're really honest, for some of us, it may not be all that positive. I know for myself, I've shared this before, but being a pastor, you know, you, you, you get into some interesting conversations. This happened to me even this week, uh, where I'll start talking with people and they don't, you know, if they don't know me or don't know what my vocation is or what I do for a living, uh, I might get a certain set of words or a certain set uh, of stories that they wouldn't have told me if they would have known that I was a pastor. So maybe I'll be on a plane or at one of my kids' sporting events and I'll start talking to somebody and conversations will start coming up and words will start coming up and then inevitably the conversation will turn to what we do for a living and uh and it'll say and they'll say oh well what do you do and I'm like I'm a pastor and the, the look in their eyes like 
oh man, did I just say all those things in front of a pastor? Oh, and so uh, automatically the backtracking starts to happen, right? Well, well, I, I mean, I, that's really not that bad. And well, I'm not that religious, but I'm a pretty good person. You, you, you got to understand, you know, yeah, those things I told you, I'm sure you realize I'm not that religious, but I'm a pretty good person. You know, we have these different pictures in our mind about what it means to be religious. And James is going to help us understand what real religion looks like today in James chapter 1. And that's our big idea. Real religion involves both listening to and acting on what God has to say. Real religion involves listening to, hearing the word of God, and, and acting on and responding to the word of God. See, James makes it clear that there is such a thing as real religion, but it may not be exactly what we think that it is. It may not be what our world perceives it to be. He says there's a false religion. There's such a thing as fake or false religion, but there's also such a thing as real religion. And when we live it out, when we hear God's word and we actually put it into practice, we're experiencing pure and true religion as God intended it to be. And so I'm excited today to jump into James chapter 1. We're going to stop a couple different times as we close out this chapter and pull out from the pages of Scripture what I think God might want us to hear. So James chapter 1, starting in verse 19. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along on our H2O app as well. Uh, it says this, James chapter 1, verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, Take note of this. All right, let's pay attention. James says, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Wow, James isn't sugarcoating it, is he? I want to stop right there. It leads us to our first point. See, real religion involves seeking understanding, not human anger. Real religion, real faith involves seeking human under, or seeking understanding, not human anger. Isn't it funny that, that sometimes people try to say that the Bible doesn't apply to us? The Bible was written thousands of years ago. It doesn't really apply to us. I think these words could not apply more to the world that we live in in 2021, right? I mean, are these issues that we're dealing with or not? The idea of listening, the idea of anger. I know throughout the last year, I've talked to more people than ever that say, my anger is out of control. And sometimes it plays out in bad ways, and other times it's just internal. But I know this is a legitimate struggle for so many of us in our world today. See, James says, I want you to know that everyone, every single one of us needs to be Slow to speak and quick to listen and slow to become angry. And if we're honest with ourselves, those are extremely hard commands to put into practice in our day and age, aren't they? 
Those are extremely hard words to actually live out, to apply. And, and I don't want to just like make social media out to be the boogeyman and this bad thing that, that we can just blame all of our problems on because I think we've talked about social media and, and, and that a lot throughout this last year. But at the same time, as a pastor who cares about all of our hearts and, and, and where God is leading us and where our world is going, I truly am worried about where our world is headed and the way that we interact with one another in the mediums that we find ourselves on. I truly am worried that much of our life revolves around this, this little screen that is so easy to directly disobey these verses here. It's so easy to do the exact opposite of what James tells us because, listen, it's so easy to blurt something out on our social media platforms, isn't it? It's so easy to go on there and say things and act in a way that we would probably never do if we were sitting across the table from somebody face to face. It's so easy to disobey the words of Scripture. We, we, we've lost the art of listening, haven't we? At least many of us have. And let's be honest, this is a human condition that existed 2,000 years ago, and yet now, in the way that we find ourselves, it's easier and easier to disobey this command. And I think it is especially true for those of us who are followers of Christ, if we want to be an influence on the world around us, that we trust God's word. Sometimes we feel like, well, if I don't get my opinion out there, if I don't get my thoughts out there, then people aren't going to know what I think. But James says, listen, it's okay to be slow to speak and quick to listen. I found this quote from Madeline Engel. She says, we draw people to Christ not by loudly discrediting what they believe but by, or by telling them how they're wrong and how right we are, but by showing them a light that is so lovely that they want to, with all of their hearts, know where the source of it is. That's how we lead people to Christ. It's not yelling at them and telling them that they're wrong or that their ideas are crazy or stupid, but it's actually living out the gospel and drawing people to the beauty of what it looks like to follow Jesus. See, James says, be slow to speak, quick to listen. We talked about in the beginning of the series how James often kind of mirrors a lot of the different Proverbs from the Old Testament. <laughs> the writer of Proverbs in Proverbs 18, he tells us this. He says, a fool finds no pleasure in understanding. A fool finds no pleasure in understanding, but delights in airing their own opinions. Ouch. <laughs> That's not sugar-coated either, is it? And yet, it's so tempting to love our own opinions, isn't it? I know as I look at this last year uh, of, of my life in this, this world, I've had to intentionally tell myself and ask people to remind me that, listen, it's okay to keep your opinions to yourself sometimes. And, and I've had to fall less and less in love with my own opinions for the sake of the gospel. Why? Because if I'm constantly spouting off my opinions, then when it's time for me to actually share truth, not just my opinions, but truth, people might be so tired of hearing me talk that they're not ready to listen. And so if I save my words for things that actually truly matter, if I'm quick to listen, not quick to speak, quick to listen, it gives me the opportunity to speak about the things that I truly care and truly want to share about. 
You know, it's, it's kind of an, an old saying. It's kind of a cliche saying, but it's, it's probably worth repeating some of these things. These old sayings stick around because they're true and there's some wisdom in it. There's this saying that says that God gave us two ears and one mouth, so we should listen twice as much as we speak. And, and that's just kind of a cool word picture for us to think about, especially those of us who are tempted to share our opinions anytime we get the opportunity. Now, James not only talks about this idea of speaking and listening, but he also talks about this idea of anger. He talks about this concept of anger. He says we need to be slow to become angry. And it's interesting because in the church, oftentimes people, uh, and myself included, we, we, we think of anger, and, and, and we know that anger can be a good thing and it can be a bad thing. You know, there is such a thing as, as godly anger. Jesus himself got angry and he cleared the temple when people were disobeying and using the temple to make money rather than to worship God. In Ephesians, it tells us, in our anger, don't sin. So that means that we can be angry and yet not sin. And so some of us, we kind of cling on to that. And we love to use that as a reason to get angry a little bit more often than we probably should. And yet, the question is, when we're beside ourselves over something, when we're all riled up, whether it's internal and only you know how angry you are inside or whether it flows out into the external when we're so besides ourselves over something that's gone on in our world. Are we really experiencing godly anger? If we're honest with ourselves, are we really experiencing that God-given anger that is a real thing or are we just upset that things aren't working out the way that we want them to? Are we just upset that we're not in control or we wouldn't have made that decision or I wouldn't have done it that way? And so we allow ourselves to fool ourselves and think that it's godly anger, but it may not always be. Remember what James says, slow to speak and slow to become angry. Because human anger, why? Human anger doesn't produce the righteousness that God desires. James gives, gives us a reason for not getting angry. He says, listen, I want you to know that, that human anger, it actually doesn't lead to pureness. It doesn't lead to the righteousness that God desires. You see, we, we like to, to think that our anger produces righteousness. If I get mad over something, then maybe somebody will see that and they'll want to change, we think. And yet we know that only God's love and mercy can lead people to repentance isn't it ironic that oftentimes our anger, that we may even want to call godly anger, isn't it ironic that our anger oftentimes is aimed at other people or other situations? You know, if we truly had godly anger welling up within us, if we were truly experiencing the, the godly anger that the Bible talks about, then shouldn't we want to fight the, own, the, the sin in our own hearts just as much as the sin that exists in the world, maybe even more? Shouldn't we want to take that anger and use it against the wickedness and the brokenness in our own hearts? Use that anger to change our own lives, the thing that we can actually control. And so if you're experiencing godly anger and it's never aimed at your own sin, but it's always aimed at other people's sins, we probably should ask the question, is it really godly anger or is it just anger that's not actually producing the righteousness that God desires? See, James says, every one of us, we should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Real religion involves that. 
Let's jump back into the passage. We have a lot to cover here today. In verse 21, James continues. He says, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accepted and accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says, it's like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. See, our second point is this. Real religion involves action, not just talk. Real religion involves action, not just talk. James says, be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. And isn't it sad that sometimes when people hear the word religion, they think of a a group of people who go to church, who show up on Sundays, and yet they live lives that aren't any different than the rest of the world around them. What James is saying here is, listen, that is great if you read your Bible. That is great if you go to church. In fact, we're called to read our Bibles. We need it. We're called to be part of a church family. We need it. We talk about this all the time. And it's great if you do those things. You need to do those things. But if you do those things and it doesn't actually lead to change, it doesn't actually lead to a different lifestyle, then you're missing the point. James isn't sugarcoating it for us. He's telling it like it is. And isn't it sad that every weekend in America and maybe even around the world that there's millions of people who who go to church and who hear a sermon, who listen to the word, and yet continue living for themselves rather than living for God. I know I've been there before. And James says, listen, don't just hear the word of God. Put it into practice. He gives this analogy. A person who hears the word of God and yet doesn't do anything about it is like a person who looks at themselves in the mirror. They see themselves in the mirror. Maybe they realize they have something on their face. Oh, I got something on my face. I should probably get that off. And then they turn around and it's like they didn't even look at themselves. They totally forget what they had just seen. See, James says there is a a false religion that just puts on a show rather than actually experiences transformation. It says a false religion says God loves you the way that you are, so you don't need to change. Catch this. A false religion says God loves you the way that you are, so you don't need to change. Real religion, real faith, the gospel tells us God loves us the way that we are, and he wants us to change. He wants us to seek his righteousness and his kingdom. God, through Jesus, makes a way for us to not just hear the word, but to be doers of the word, to change and to move closer to him. That's what real religion looks like. See, God's word gives us abundant life. You catch this phrase that that James says? He says that God's law gives us freedom. Some of us might feel like those things are oxymorons. Law, freedom, wait, those two things don't go together. James says, no, they actually do. God's law gives us freedom. When God gives us commands, as we hear the word of God, it is for our freedom. 
It is so that we can thrive an abundant life. God doesn't just give us rules for the sake of rules. God gives us commands because his way leads to life, life to the fullest, life to the fullest here on earth and life to the fullest in eternity. And so real religion, it involves action, not just talk. Let's jump back in in verse 26. James says this, those who consider themselves religious, there's that word, those who consider themselves religious yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, they deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Third point is this, real religion involves self-control. Real religion involves self-control. James in chapter 3 is going to talk a lot about the power of our tongue. So I'm not going to hit on that too much anymore. But what James is saying is, listen, it is easy to deceive yourself into thinking that everything is fine. And yet God's law calls us to have control in the way that we live and the way that we talk. James talks about this concept of deceiving ourselves. And that should be a, a, a phrase and a, and, and a concept that, that we reflect on because we all know what it is to deceive other people, right? We all know what it is to kind of put on a show and, and make other people think that we're better than we are or even to outright lie. We all know what it is to deceive others. But James says, maybe even worse than deceiving others, we can deceive ourselves. We can tell ourselves the same thing over and over again, and we can start to deceive ourselves. And I've seen this happen over and over again. I've even seen it in my own life where people convince themselves that something that they once would have known for sure was wrong is now God's will for their life. We can deceive ourselves if we're not listening and obeying to God's word. I know I was reading as I was preparing for this this week, and I found this study that I thought was kind of funny and ironic when it comes to this idea of, of self-perception and, and deceiving ourselves. It was a Washington Post poll from a while back, and they were polling people, and they asked people this question, do you believe that you're above average in your appearance? Okay? Kind of interesting question, right? Do you believe that you're above average in your appearance? Guess what percent of people said, yes, I believe I'm above average? 79% of people believe that they're above average. Okay, wait, I'm not a math major, but average 50%. Okay, so at least, you know, uh, uh, 29% of those people were off, right? And then they asked people, um, do you believe that you're above average in your intellect? And people were even further off. 86% of people believe they were above average in their intellect, Okay, I think this idea we're tempted to deceive ourselves because sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's hard to be honest with the brokenness that exists inside ourselves. And yet for the follower of Christ, we can come to grips with it. We can come face to face with it because we know the gospel. We know the truth that Jesus can transform us. That Jesus can change us. That Jesus can set us free. And it's not about our own intellect. And it's not about our own good looks. It's about the power of the cross and what Jesus has done for us. And so real religion, it, it allows us to, to take a, a good, honest look at ourselves. And it allows us to have self-control even in the midst of temptation that we face. And then I want to close with this. Verse 27. It says, 
religion, James again hitting on this theme, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after the orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. See, real religion involves caring for the vulnerable. Our last point, fourth and finally, real religion involves caring for the vulnerable. James says, listen, it's not that all religion is bad. Sometimes we're tempted to believe that. It's not that all religion is bad. There is a type of religion that is pure and that is faultless. But this religion, this faith, this belief in God, this following of Jesus, it involves both hearing, listening, and then responding and acting on what God tells us. Not just a, a mental exercise, but something that we put into practice. And he closes with an action step. He says, real religion cares after the most vulnerable in our world. Orphans and widows, especially during that time, they were the most vulnerable examples that James could think of. He gives these examples of people that have nobody else to care for them, nobody else to speak for them, nobody else to look after them. And James is saying, real religion doesn't just court the powerful people. Real religion doesn't just go after the famous people and the good-looking people. Real religion cares for people who don't have a voice, who are truly vulnerable. I think it should cause us to ask the question, who are the, the vulnerable in our world? Who, who are the vulnerable who can't speak for themselves? Again, we're paralleling Proverbs or James oftentimes. Proverbs 31, 8 says, Speak for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. And still to this day, one of the examples that James gives, probably both of them, definitely widows have needs still to this day. We have a different set of social safety nets, but especially orphans still to this day. There's a massive need. We've talked about this here before at H2O. There's over a half million kids in our foster care system just here in the United States, and well over 100,000 of them. They're waiting to be adopted. I mean, think about just the the need that exists there. And I know that God isn't calling every single person and every single family here to adopt, but I do know that he's calling us to care for, to pray for, to partner with, to help meet needs of vulnerable people. And the church has done a lot, honestly, in this area, globally. And yet the church can continue to do more. We should always be asking the question, how can we look out for the vulnerable Think about all these kids in, in foster care and you think, wow, what amazing needs. And those are just the kids who get the privilege of, of living and being adopted. Think about people who don't have a voice. And I think about this reality that we face now in our world where, where we've created this system of abortion to stop kids from even being born. And man, when you think about the pain that that causes, when you think about Vulnerability, what's more vulnerable than an unborn child? In the U.S., there's over a million abortions every year. 3,000 unborn lives ended every day in our nation, and that number is staggering. That's true vulnerability. Listen, we just went through one of the, the most politically divisive years in memory, 
And I'm proud that our church avoided getting into the mud through so much of that. And so as I talk about that subject of abortion, I want to tell you I don't care whether you're a Democrat or a Republican or an Independent. I don't care how you voted. What I do care about is us living out the words of Scripture. I think we call ourselves followers of Jesus. We have to care about protecting the vulnerable in our society. Again, what's more vulnerable than an unborn child? I bring this up because the Bible says to look after those who are in distress, who can't speak for themselves. We want you to know that God is the, the creator of life, and we can partner with God in caring for all human life. So I want to be practical with you just for a minute here in this area. And I just want to say, if, if you, and, and I know that this has happened before, if you or someone that you know here or come in contact with in the future is pregnant, then we would plead with you to choose life. That's God's plan. We can tell you that. And I can give you our, our word that as a church that we will do whatever we need to do to support you and to care for you, whether that's helping you find an adoption situation, whether that's coming alongside you if you choose to raise that child, whatever that looks like. That's our role as a church, to help care for the vulnerable. And we know sometimes people are tempted not to choose life because they don't feel like they have a support system or because they're ashamed. And we just want you to know that we deeply, deeply care for you and we deeply, deeply care about life. And secondly, I just have to say this. Anytime we talk about this subject, and it breaks my heart to have to say this, but sadly, I know in a room this size, and I know with people watching online, that there are some of us that haven't chose life, that haven't made that decision. Some mothers, some fathers that have been part of influencing those decisions to, to end pregnancies. And we just want you to know that our hearts hurt with you. We know that you're hurting. And we want you to know that God can forgive you, that God can heal you, that God can redeem you. And we know that this will be a hard road. We know it because we've walked it with people. We've, we've walked it with men and women who've made those decisions. But God's grace can bring healing. God's grace can bring hope. And so our invitation for you here today is the same as it is for every single one of us. Our invitation to you is to experience Jesus, to turn to him. You need Jesus to heal you. We all need Jesus to heal us. And he is willing and he is able. And as heavy as it is to talk about that responsibility that we have to care for the most vulnerable in our world, to call out sin when it needs called out, and to respond with love and compassion, it's a beautiful part of being the church. Not just talking about what it looks like to live out our faith, but living out our faith, being hearers and doers of the word. James says to look after the orphans and widows in distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. We need God's grace to do this. We look around our world, it seems like our world's inventing new ways for us to be polluted every single day. And yet we know that we're called to be set apart. We're called to look different. And it's a beautiful privilege to be the church in a world that desperately needs hope. So let's be a, a, a family of believers that's quick to listen, that's slow to speak, slow to become angry, and quick to show and display 
the love of Christ for everyone who needs it, especially the most vulnerable among us. You know, real religion is about hearing God's word and responding to it and living for him. That's our hope and our prayer for our church. I want to invite you to do that. So let's pray and let's sing and just reflect on God's goodness and his grace. God, we thank you for the power of your word. And when we think about the beauty of the gospel, Lord, we're reminded that all of us have fallen short. Every single one of us hasn't lived up to the reality of being doers of the word. Lord, every single one of us has been tempted to deceive ourselves into thinking that we're something that we're not. And yet, your truth in the gospel it grounds us in the fact that we continually need you moment by moment, day by day. So God, would you help us to cling to you? Lord, for those of us who are here who need to repent from self-reliance, from decisions that we've made, from sins that have separated us from you, we pray that you would give us the humility to say yes and to turn to you. God, for those of us who've just been hearers of the word but haven't actually put it into practice, would today be a turning point for us that we would look and act different, that we would be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. God, would we be known for our love as followers of you? Lord, help us to look out for even the most vulnerable in our world. Help us to speak for those who can't speak and help us to support and care for those who are in distress. Lord, we pray all these things in your name. Amen.